0: This is The River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. Hey folks, this is Sam Carter, your host here at The River Radius. Before we dig in on this episode, I am here to tell you about our big giveaway that is launching with this episode on March 7th of 2023. The River Radius, along with Down River Equipment Company, is giving away a full whitewater cataract, this is a downriver clear creek cataraft package. It is a full build, a pair of 12 foot high side nimbus cataraft tubes, a downriver clear creek frame, a set of three oars at eight and a half feet long, and enough straps to put it all together. Personally, I have this same boat. It is a smooth and rowdy whitewater boat, perfect for the day runs, and it can carry lightweight overnight gear. Yes, this is a full giveaway from the river radius and downriver. How do you enter? Go to the River Radius website, that is www.theriverradius.com. There, go to the giveaway page and follow the entry steps. This giveaway will run from March 7th until April 10th of 2023. You can see the boat in person at the end of March at Raftopia in Denver at Downriver Equipment Company's huge spring sales event. There's more about Raftopia later in this episode. I will be there as the MC with the boat. On March 31st and April 1st, come see the boat, come say hey, get registered, and good runs. Okay, we're going to start this episode over from the top, so go get entered in the giveaway. That is www.theriverradius.com and listen to this episode about how some people run waterfalls and rafts. Here we go. Back to the Meadowlark. This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome.
1: If they had a boat, I was going to talk to them. But as that progressed, it kind of morphed into more of, a kind of check out their gear, see what kind of boat they had, see what shape their dry suit was in, what shape their PFD and helmets are in. You're kind of eyeballing people, and they're probably looking at you a little funny, thinking you're checking them out. But, you know, that was that was definitely things I remember doing.
0: This episode comes to you from a waterfall and a raft. Tony Glassman and his crew of riverboating friends made a river film all about running waterfalls in small rafts. They did it really well. They worked with highly skilled boaters, they did research, they took trainings, they practiced various skills, they traveled around the country and even out of the country to make this film. The movie is called Yaw, The Movie, and it was well-received, maybe you've seen it. It was so well-received, that Tony was hearing from people who wanted to go run waterfalls with him, other people asking for advice on how to paddle various waterfalls, and even people expressing that they were ready with their brand new boat to go drop a waterfall. Last September, Tony reached out to the River Radius to see if we could build an episode together about how to run waterfalls and rafts. And what he really means is how to spend the time learning and building the skills to go run waterfalls in Class 5 water. So that is what we did. We talked through the various stages of skill preparation and what is really involved in the very risky moves of running waterfalls and little rafts. Please meet Tony Glassman.
1: Hello, my name is Tony Glassman. I am out of Eagle, Colorado, and I'm a rafter. I like to spend all my weekends and when the rivers are in my nights after work on the river. I work a nine to five and have a family.
0: How many? How many kids do you have?
1: Uh we have two. We have an 11 and a 9-year-old. And and what's your 9 to 5? I work for a general contractor here in town, so we do a bunch of like high-end remodels for mainly for vacation homes out here.
0: And what's uh, what's your closest river?
1: Our closest river is the Eagle River. It's about uh 3 blocks from my house. The put into the river is about 5 minutes away which is awesome for after work in the summertime. We get off work and have a crew of us that meet there every
0: day and go raft till it's dark. We're here to talk about boating, about paddle rafting, about a film you made. I'd like to start right there. You and a crew of boaters, uh, you guys built a film about running waterfalls in rafts. Can you start off and give us more detail about the film, the name of it, how you got a hold of the footage? Yeah, tell us about the film. Yeah, the film's called YAH,
1: the movie. It was our crew. There was five of us that kind of came up with the initial idea. And we were scouring YouTube or Facebook, Instagram, looking for videos or seeing, you know, what people like Aaron Erdrich or Dan McCain or Jeff Compton, those guys had recently done. And we we're kind of going, man, it sure be nice if there was a whole movie that people could sit down instead of just watching these little clips all the time. And so we came up with the idea to create this movie. And all of us were at that point, you know, we'd all ran a couple waterfalls, but nothing like in the movie. And so it was this giant learning experience for us all as we got into it. When we started it, there really wasn't an idea, except we were going to run the hardest rivers that we could find and find as many waterfalls to go off of that we could find. As the movie was getting made, the storyline kind of built itself And the story, as we put it all together, kind of followed us through our progression of figuring out how to do all this stuff. We started in the Pacific Northwest because that's kind of the mecca for running waterfalls in the country for kayaks and for rafts. So we went up there, spent a couple weeks with those guys, and they tuned us in as to how to properly set up all the safety, how to pick your line going down a waterfall and just all the different things that that type of boating encompasses and it was really cool. Just getting to go and spend that time with those guys for one. And they were super cool with us when we kind of told them what we wanted to do. They were all in on it, you know, and in our mind, they were kind of the ones who started this revolution for rafts that rafts can go and run waterfalls and they can get down super tight creeks that only kayakers had done before. There's a YouTube video out there called go big or go home. And Dan McCain had originally posted that and it was kind of like their highlight reel that they had come up with over a couple of years. Those guys really pioneered the whole sport of, well, this aspect of the sport. When we got out there, we're all, you know, green greens could be, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed. Like what do we do? (laughs) They kind of ran us through it all. And we started on some smaller ones, like 15 footers and, As the week went on, we kind of progressed up to Big Brother was one of the bigger ones we ran. And that's a 30-foot vertical drop on the the green truss section of the white salmon. So that whole thing was super cool. And then we went to Ecuador, and we spent a couple weeks down there. When we were down there, the plan, like we had all these waterfalls picked out that we had seen that we wanted to run. And our first night in the hostel, we were staying at. The guy who owned it said, you know, there's no search and rescue here. If you guys get hurt, no one's coming for you. He said, the only way anyone's going to know that something happened is when you guys don't show up that night. And then the next day, I'll see if I can come find you. (laughs) So that kind of definitely triggered us to say, okay, maybe let's just try and get really scenic footage down here. Because none of us want to go spend the night in the jungle with a broken leg. Um, but that was an awesome trip. And then we kind of took all that stuff that we had learned from the PNW and then in Ecuador and brought all that back to Colorado and then went and ran a whole bunch of rivers around here that some had been rafted maybe once or twice that anyone knew about. And some had never been rafted, but it was, that was our goal. And yeah, that was kind of the whole evolution and how that all went you yeah. You all say "y'all" quite a bit in the movie. What what is uh, what is that all about? Uh, one of the guys, Justin Scheibel, had worked on a ranch, and the cowboys on the ranch, as they're getting the cattle together, would go "y'all, y'all." <laughs> and him and I, one day, were out on Gore Canyon, and we kind of got messed up on our line, and we're surfing this hole, and I just hear him next to me going "y'all." Yaw! I was sitting there like, "What are you saying?" (laughs) (laughs) But we thought it was so funny. So the whole rest of that summer, we're all out in our boats yelling yaw. And then it got to the point where it really started catching on around the state. And we'd be rolling past people, and they'd scream yaw at us, and we'd scream it back. And it just kind of like turned into its own little
0: animal. Gosh. This episode is sponsored by two excellent organizations, Downriver Equipment Company and American Whitewater. First, I'll tell you about Downriver Equipment Company. Downriver Equipment is a river gear company based in Denver, Colorado. Downriver manufactures hand-built custom frames and other essential river gear like straps, drop bags, rig bags, and pumps all in-house. This March, Downriver Equipment is hosting Raftopia, one of the largest river gear sales and celebrations among the river community. Raftopia will begin on Monday, March 27, with a week-long sale, followed by a two-day outdoor expedition and used gear sale that brings rafters, manufacturers, and non-profit organizations together. All of this culminates with over $20,000 in giveaway prizes on Saturday, April 1st. And the River Radius will be the MC at Raftopia. You can find more about Downriver and Raftopia 2023 online at www.downriverequip.com and in today's show notes. Our second sponsor today is American Whitewater. American Whitewater is one of my favorite river conservation organizations. The mission of American Whitewater is to protect and restore America's whitewater rivers and to enhance opportunities to enjoy them safely. Their work is for the river runner who takes their raft out on day trips or overnight camping trips, the kayaker pursuing rowdy whitewater, and the canoeer paddling calmer waters. American Whitewater will be at Raftopia in Denver on March 31st and April 1st. You can meet their people and become an American Whitewater member. I am a member of American Whitewater, and the River Radius is a partner with American Whitewater. You can find American Whitewater online at www.americanwhitewater.org. So, you know, I I want to know what the outcome of the movie has been. I want I want to say outcome and fallout and maybe those both fit, maybe they don't. Um and I'm going to throw it in here that um you and I are having this conversation because you 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 addressed, you you reached out to the podcast and and suggested that we talk about this, that there's something deeper than the movie to talk about, that there's something beyond all that footage you just described that you want to dig into. And I think I would say that I think you want to help people who are interested in all this to to learn about it in a different way. So I'm curious, can you tell me, can you tell us about the kind of outcome of the film and why you feel like we're here today?
1: Yeah, so one of the main things for us with making the film was to not just show people what was possible on rafts, but to also inspire more people to get out in the rafts on these gnarlier runs. And I feel like we did that and we did it a little bit more than we expected. All of us started getting all of these messages through social media. I mean, I still get them constantly all summer long where people are saying, Hey, we saw the movie. We want to go run this stuff. I had one guy's, hey, I just got a boat last week and I want to go fire up this waterfall. I was like, buddy, you should definitely not be doing this. And then the next week on his social media, sure enough, he's running the damn thing. That started worrying me. And then I kept seeing more and more of that. And I'd always try and give people the best beta that I could. When they'd ask me about these runs, and I'd also always kind of tell them, you know, make sure you're ready for this. Make sure you put in the work and you know what you're doing and that you're 100% when you're standing on top of that thing. But that just doesn't seem to be what people think. I think in this day and age, we have all this instant gratification with boating, with success, with whatever a lot of people do these days. They just want to go straight to the top. And that's just not the way it works. You have to suffer. All of us had minimum 10, 15 years of boating before any of us ever stepped foot into a river above a waterfall. We all had multiple swift water rescue trainings, first aid, CPR, wolfers, um, guide trainings. You know, most of the guys, except for a couple of us, still work or had worked as commercial guides. Like there was a lot that went into us getting to that point. Like for me, for instance, I had started boating in 2001 and it wasn't until 2018 that I went off my first waterfall and it wasn't until 2013 that I even stepped up into a class five. And I'm not saying that's the timeline that everyone needs to follow. I'm just saying that as an example of like we put in our time to get to that place and we did everything we could and we still do when we're on the river to mitigate all the risks that are involved. And there's no way you're going to get all of those risks taken away, but through proper safety and training and practice, you can get to a point where you can mitigate most of that risk. Rafting inherently is obviously a dangerous sport. There's a lot going on under the water.
0: You know, when you first hollered at me about doing this episode, I, I was thinking you wanted to do something along the lines of like how to actually run a waterfall, like how do you approach it, your angles, your strokes, your your balance in the boat, etc. But in our first conversation, quickly understood that that was not what you were talking about. You were talking about what you've been talking about, like how to be prepared and what it takes. Let's dig in. Um, I want to, first off, clarify what kind of boats we're talking about. So you've said rafts. We're not talking about kayaks. We're talking about rafts, and there's all kinds of rafts out there. We're talking about smaller boats. You've rowed some waterfalls, but I think we're specifically talking about paddle rafting stuff. Can you identify the, the type of craft The size of that craft, a lot of people that are river runners have probably gone paddle rafting with friends or with a commercial outfit and they've gotten in these kind of like 14 or 16-foot boats with 12, 8, 6 people and had a great time. But you're talking about something different. You're talking about smaller boats that are what we might call R1 or R2. So can you break that down and tell us about these boats and that style, please? We're all
1: in 10 to 11-foot boats I personally have an Air Puma. I love that thing. I love air. All my boats are air. Um, some of the other guys like the Highside Minimax. Those are the type of boats that you want, especially for R1. We will R2 those boats. But if we were going to go R2 a waterfall, then we'll typically be in a 12 to 13 foot raft because you need a little bit more space for the impact of when you land. And they're a little bit more stable as well with having two people in there. Primarily, if you're seeing people run class five, and this isn't everyone, but primarily they're going to be in either an R1 or an R2 situation. So they're going to have one or two
0: paddlers. R1 means one paddler in the boat solo. R2 means two people typically sitting kind of side by side in the middle of the boat.
1: Correct. Yeah. So we all sit in the center of the boat, but slightly back. And we've kind of just found that slightly back and I'm not talking all the way back in a guide position, but it's slightly back. It just helps keep the bow up. It helps get the boat over a curler or some kind of bigger wave. And also if you are running a waterfall going off of it, you don't want the front of that boat diving in and penciling in. It hurts when that happens. You do over the handlebars and right into the drink.
0: So we'll talk scaffolding, but can you tell us, how you personally as Tony crafted your skills to become the solid boater that you are, that you can run these waterfalls, you can run class five, that you're confident and that you're competent in doing that stuff. What was your, what was your path?
1: Yeah. So I had started by, you know, just your typical everyday weekend floater out on the class two section with maybe a class three in it and then had, Run a couple more class three runs, definitely no class four. And that was up to 2012. And in 2012, I had a good friend of mine invite me to sit on the front of his boat for the Middle Fork of the Salmon, which is an epic overnighter in Idaho. It's like every rafter's dream to go run this river. There's hot springs almost every day. And and sitting on his boat and just watching it the whole time, I was amazed. I was going, oh, man, I found what I want to do with my life. Like, this is what I want, where I want to be. I want to be on the water as much as I can. And I wanted to figure out how to get the skill set for it. So that following spring, I had signed up for a raft guide training program. And I went into that as a Class 3 boater and came out of Class 4 boater. My skill level tripled. From when I started it and that was a hundred percent due to that training. It was every day, anyone who's done a raft guide training, you know, you're getting yelled at, you're doing all these drills, you're swimming in the river every day, you're figuring out the safety. And you have people there who are just fine tuning in your strokes and getting you down the river. And that was incredibly valuable to me. I will never, ever tell anyone that they should not do a raft guide training. And when I did it, I had no intention of guiding. I uh, That was not my cup of tea. Um, I think it's super awesome. I was 30 years old when I did that training. Had I done it when I was 18, I'd probably still be a RAF guide right now. And that was kind of the the first framework. Once I got through that training.
0: Let me ask a question about that. So just to be clear, when you signed up for that guide school, you had communicated with the company that you were there to learn and not become a guide. And they were cool with that. Correct. Yeah.
1: I had called them and, well, every company I called, I said, do you have some kind of private boating clinic? And everyone said no. And this company said, well, you can come do our raft guide training and, you know, you give us 300 bucks and we'll deal with all this and teach you all this stuff. They did at the end of it, try and get me to guide for them. And I went and ran sweep on, I think, one or two weekends of commercial trips with them and just kind of said, you know what, this is this is not not my cup of tea. Uh, it just wasn't didn't ring a bell with me. So yeah, they knew that I was not going to guide, but they were still down to let me come and do the course with them. Mm-hmm.
0: What's your what like? What's your recommendation for how a person steps up, scaffolds up to becoming a class four boater, a class five boater, a waterfall boater, if they so desi- desire? What do you recommend that they go through? to become that level of boater. You know, I had someone tell me
1: when I had expressed that I wanted to learn how to raft class five. And I said, how do I do that? And what they had told me was once class three feels like class two, you're ready for class four. Once class four feels like class three, you're ready for class five. And you should be able to look at any stretch of river anywhere in the world and be able to know your line within three to 10 seconds. And as soon as you can do that, then you can read and run anything. And so that was kind of what I did. I started on all the class three runs in Colorado, and then I bumped up to the class four runs. I would go and run the numbers on the Arkansas. And once that started feeling kind of easy, doing all the traditional lines, then I just started taking wacky lines that no one would ever take, but just to see what would happen. I was trying to put myself in uncomfortable situations on the river and that just makes you a better boater because then you're ready to deal with whatever. Like I tell people all the time, you know, if you have a favorite run, you should be running that backwards. And once you can run that thing backwards, then you're ready to get spun around in the middle of a rapid and not freak out. Your muscle memory is going to kick in and you're going to know what to do. So I think it's super important. And even like now we still, our crew still runs class three and we still run tons of class four and we love it. Like class four, I think is the most fun boating there is. And we try and make a point that we all are not going for a a large quantity of days, but we all make sure that we're doing what we call maintenance boating because you have to be getting out there and keeping tuned up, keeping strong and, Keeping your mind right all through these these steps, that way you're ready. So when you do step up to a class five run, you're tuned up, you're dialed in, you're ready to go. It's it's just real important that you're always staying tuned up, and making sure that you are ready for anything before you are out there trying to run the hardest white water that you're going to run.
0: And and what what role like where, where in all that does like swimming the rapids come flip practice come i'm sure you probably did that when you were doing the guide school and in some switchwater training classes but do you force yourself to go swim some of the rapids that you're boating through do you practice Uh, uh, flipping in there and learning how to reflip a hundred percent so
1: we as a crew have talked about just this like we gotta we gotta keep practicing all this stuff so we've had times where You know, it's kind of a a mellow day or the flows are low. We're like, hey, let's do some throwback training today or let's, you know, pin this boat up on this log and Z drag the thing off one time we found this big log on the river and we're all like, Oh, we should try swimming under this thing and see, you know what that's like. So we're used to it. And we obviously, you know, check the log and make sure there was a clear path. We just didn't dive in head first, but we all sat there and practiced over and over swimming under this log. Just so if that ever happened to us, our muscle memory kicks in and our mind kicks in and we're calm. And we say, I've done this before. I'm going to, I know what to do right now. And, you know, going back to, that summer after the guide practice or guide training every single day that summer, I swam the river. And I think that's huge. And I tell everyone that you should be swimming rapids. You know, not only is it kind of fun, but it's also same thing. Going back to that muscle memory. Every time I hit the water, my body just kicks in. I don't even think I know exactly what I'm
0: going to do. So you're talking about running these different, these different places, these different stretches of water, different classes of water. How important is it in there, in your experience, to also run those at varying uh, levels of water, varying uh, different volumes and levels?
1: Oh, buddy, that's one of my favorite parts of rafting. (laughs) Um, I I love getting in there at the beginning of the season, or if we're doing a new run, I want to get in there at the lowest water possible. Cause then I can get in there. I can see where the features are. I can picture in my mind what it's going to look like as the water is coming up. You can find any hazards that are in there. And then you just start getting this comfort with the river. And uh, even at the end of the season, we'll get back in and run low water. You know, I think low water boating is the most technical type of boating there is. And it really tunes you up. You're making all these extra paddle strokes. You're having to make tons of moves And what it's really taught me is how to set angles and how important your angles are to how you're going to get down the line. Cause I can sit there and look at a rapid and I picture in my mind, all the angles I'm going to have with my boat. And then if you take it to another level, you're picturing where you want your weight in the boat as you go through these different angles and how the water is going to react to you moving around in the boat and you setting those different angles. I think once you've really tuned yourself up, it's, it's quite a bit easier to, to step up and do those next levels.
0: I've heard you say over and over your crew, meaning the people that you're going out there with. And to me, this is one of the, it's one of the most important pieces is going boating with people you trust. And I always like to say I'm going boating with people who are better than me. I think it's really important to go with good people and I think they become such cool friends. Tell me about what you look for when you are thinking about your crew, the people you boat with, like what what kind of skill levels, what kind of i mean I have this list here, like what kind of skill levels, what kind of communication skills and trust, and is the person accountable, can they be humble? so I'm curious what your thoughts are around your boating crew and finding those people,
1: yeah, you know, I would say. When I was starting to do that, it was just kind of a, if they had a boat, I was going to talk to them. But as that progressed, it kind of morphed into more of a kind of check out their gear, see what kind of boat that they had, see what shape their dry suit was in, what shape their PFD and helmets are in. You're kind of eyeballing people and they're probably looking at you a little funny, thinking you're checking them out. But you know, that was that was definitely things I remember doing. Then, you know, these days with social media, like you can talk to anybody, everybody in the world's available to you so you can look at their videos. And, you know, a lot of people have reached out to us over the years and we've had a lot of, of Facebook boating dates. Um, some of our crew does not like that. And, you know, sometimes it works out great and you end up having like a new buddy who you're boating with every day. And sometimes you're going, holy crap, what have I done? <laughs> You know, you gotta, you gotta be selective, right? And I think when you're just getting into it, go boat with everyone. See the different styles that people are, are bringing to the table of how they get down rivers. And then I think you're going to find what works well for you, the different styles. I mean, that's what I did. I went and at first I found this crew. I was mainly cat boating back then. And it was awesome. It was all these guys. I was the youngest by about 10 to 15 years but they were great they were dialed always on time like safety was a paramount issue and i've learned so much from those guys and i love all those guys i still boat with them to this day um as i started wanting to get in more to the waterfalls and the the gnarlier class five well first i had to learn how to paddle a raft so i started focusing a lot more on that but also i started kind of like looking you know oh this guy on Instagram has a waterfall in his his photo and he's running a raft off and I'm going to hit him up. We're going to be best friends. (laughs) And that was how actually a couple of uh, our crew kind of came together. Um, You know, I keep talking about my crew. Is all right. If I give them a shout out. Oh, do it. Uh, Do it. All right. It's Joel Winblad, Justin Scheibel, Casey Vanderbrook, and Chavez, also known as his real name, Chris Schultz. But those are my guys. That's my crew. They're the ones that we all made the movie together, and we all, like, had this amazing, amazing year uh, running all these rivers around Colorado before we made the movie and then decided that that we were the, the ones to, to boat together and that this was our, our deal.
0: And Joel Winblad, people might know his name because he was on the podcast. He's one of the uh, Kanawha Falls rafting, get up in the middle of the night, go pull a guy out of a waterfall, people. That uh, he, he, <laughs> yeah. told, he
1: told the story yeah that, that is Joel to a T he would get up in the middle of the night to go help anyone he's a great boater and all the other guys are, are the same too you know I think as you have your crew there's a lot of dynamics that go in with that there's a lot of personalities that you're bringing into a mix into what can be some very high stress tense situations and it's interesting seeing how everyone works together to get through those.
0: This episode is sponsored by American Whitewater and Downriver Equipment Company. American Whitewater is a river conservation organization established in 1954, and today has over 7,000 dues paying members and many thousands more using their extensive database of river running information. American Whitewater works to maintain access for river runners to the rivers we all want to paddle and row, and they consistently advocate to maintain and improve regulations that govern rivers. American Whitewater will be at Raftopia in Denver at the end of March. You can meet their staff, learn more about their work, and become a member of this long-running and highly effective river conservation organization. I am a member of American Whitewater, and the River Radius is a partner with American Whitewater. You can find American Whitewater online at www.americanwhitewater.org. And our second sponsor today for this episode is Downriver Equipment Company. Downriver Equipment Company is a river gear shop, and they custom build boat frames and dry boxes for cataracts and rafts. These frames use larger diameter aluminum tubing, and they can be customized with welded diamond plate side decking and floors. I row a clear creek Downriver frame, and it is perfectly designed for whitewater, They also design expedition frames that will carry gear and food and people for longer trips. Downriver is hosting Raftopia at the end of March. Raftopia is Downriver's annual major gear sale loaded with new and used gear. Raftopia culminates on Friday and Saturday, March 31st and 1st with an outdoor parking lot sales event. You can find Downriver equipment online at www.downriverequip.com and in today's show notes. When I think about a boating crew and when I think about like my own self as a part of that crew, I think about like my own physical conditioning and what I feel like I do year round to stay ready for boating. And I, I you know I'll preface it this way. I had a swim 2014 in uh in a river <laughs> in big water, big volume and I just got trashed. I was in the water a long time and I mean definitely the PFD saved me. And then another boater saved me and pulled me out of the water, and I I got done with this like eight-minute swim, and I couldn't walk. Uh, I mean, I was just like melted to the deck of this boat, and people out there who were there, who they know exactly what I'm talking about. That was an intense day. Uh, it was a hard swim. It was a really hard swim, but I also know I was not in the best physical shape, and uh, on that beach... I actually found this like piece of wood that was really uniquely worked by the river, and I took that damn thing, and I still have it, and it sits out there next to my workout gear to remind me to don't, don't be dumb and be out of shape again if I swim. And I actually have swam That's again awesome. since. In fact, I swam last year in the Golly River three damn times because I just did. And uh, I was really glad to be able to <laughs> swim and get on my boat and pull myself in and be able to manage all that by myself with that story in mind, I'm curious what you think about class four, the class five, the waterfalls. So what what that means for the person doing that to be in physical shape and what it means to the crew for you to, as an individual, be in really good physical shape. How does that play into this kind of boating?
1: I think a hundred percent. I've certainly been on the river with people and looked at their physical condition and been like, I really hope I don't get in trouble by this guy. Um, I do not want him trying to save me. So I think that plays a huge part. I think if anything you want to do at a high level, you have to train at a high level. I think at least a couple days in the gym, I think pools are, you know, the best ever training for anything. Cause You can sit there and exert yourself and see how long you can go swimming without taking a breath, but a hundred percent, you have to be in some kind of decent physical ability because the river doesn't care the in Colorado. Anyway, the water is cold. It sucks energy out of you just the second you hit it and you know, you need to, you need to be ready to save your buddy. You know I think about that a lot like I'm not a very tall guy I'm like 5'8 and for whatever reason all my buddies are these six foot giants so I think about that a lot like I better be able to pull you know six foot two Joel on the boat and you know as a I'm sorry I'm just trying to think of the right way to word this I don't think that you need to be a bodybuilder by any means but I do think that You need to be doing something active with your life, whether that's the gym or hiking or just doing push-ups, like something to keep your body in shape in between those rivers. And I know that rafters, especially are not seen as athletes, but we put ourselves in some pretty dicey situations. And, you know, if you don't have confidence in your physical ability, then you probably shouldn't be out there.
0: I want to go back to the physical stuff for one question. And I feel like I need to say this about physical physicality with boating, like physical endurance and all this. I'm not, I don't want to sit here and act like I'm some like specimen for the Olympics or some shit like that. Cause <laughs> I, I am not, <laughs> I, if I went and ran around outside for like more than 30 seconds, I would be like breathing hard. But I also know that like, I, I do the things you're saying, like I do work out. I, I have some endurance, I have strength. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's what I'm trying to express in this is like. Yeah, being real about like where our bodies are and what we're getting into. With that, the question I have for you is like, what are some key things that a person going R1ing, R2ing, even r 3 I mean, maybe people out here like decide to do R3, R4, whatever, paddle rafting in bigger water, what are some key moves that people need to do if the boat flips? Like what are, like when you think about, What happens after that boat flips and like the strength moves that have to happen that are the moves where you're like, oh, fuck, I am not in good shape. This might be, this might get real scary, weird. What are some of those key physical features?
1: So there's a book called Water the Blood of My Soul. And that book was written by Mark Kramer. Mark Kramer was one of the first cat boaters who took a small cat and went and ran just the gnarliest stuff you could imagine. The Coot de Gras of his book is going and running the Triple Crown in Alaska, which I read this a while ago. I want to say it's the Alsek, the Tatashini, and then the Stikine in a cat boat. He did not make the entire run. I don't want to give it away because it's one of the best books any boater could read. Within that book, he's talking about his training and getting ready for this and I really took this to heart because I kind of read that book as I was really getting into all this stuff. What he would do is he would go out in his boat on flat water and he would purposely flip it over and then reflip it and then flip it over and reflip it and see how many times he could do this. Then he started going down runs and purposely flipping the boat in the middle of a run. And then boom, seeing how fast he could flip it back over, you know, kayakers call it the combat roll. I don't know if rafters really have a name for it. That takes a lot of exertion, just flipping a boat once. So if you put yourself into a training situation that you're flipping it multiple times over and over and over, then when you go to do it once, no problem. Like you're going to nail it. You know, practice is everything. Practice makes perfect. I think that for boaters, upper body strength is real important. And I think endurance is real important. You got to get your cardio in, You know, and you have to be like core strong, you go out and flip a boat as many times as you can. I think that's amazing training. And like Kramer even gets to the part in this book where he's heli scouting these runs (laughs) and he's looking at this one rapid and going, there's no way I'm going to make it through that wave without flipping. So I'm stronger at flipping the boat back over from the right side. So I'm going to turn my boat slightly to the left, hit it with the front left side tube, let it flip over, and then I can quickly flip it back over from the right side, my strong side, and get back into it. Like, that's a whole nother level. <laughs> like, I've never personally planned my flips, but I thought that was super interesting that he was so confident in his ability to self-rescue that he was, that was part of his plan for the run that was part of his line. So having that kind of physical prowess, you know, I think that's important. And I think it's important that you also have the cardio because anytime you're in a stressful situation, you get elevated heart rate, you know, you aren't breathing the same as you normally would. So you got to be able to do that stuff in that same kind of um, setting. So yeah, that's kind of something we've done is just you know, the multi-flips or the combat roll on purpose and stuff like that. It's all muscle memory. Once you get that in, it's just in you, and it's just going to happen.
0: I want to ask about, like, safety, like how you and your crew set up safety on the river. In the film, I can see people here and there with the throw bags in the right spots at the eddies and the pools uh, below the big, the big moves, but I don't think it's always expressed, and the movie was really fast-paced, right? It's like, boom 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 this 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 talk about that part of it because i think that's a thing that gets it's easy to overlook it and like it's easy to not emphasize it enough in our boating crews how do you guys approach safety um so i guess it's easy to just like run through a scenario
1: say we roll up to a a river that we haven't run before it's a stout river we're going to walk it first that's typically what we would do,
0: like the try full, and the scout. Full, I'm sorry, you're going to walk the full stretch.
1: Yeah. Yep. We usually hike the stretch. We identify all of the points that we think we're going to have the hardest time in. And then we also try and find some landmarks. When we look for our landmarks, we'll be facing downriver and looking up as if we were on the river. So we'll try and find, like, you know, oh, that big half-dead tree we need to pull over right after we see that. So that way we can identify because things move fast on the river, right? So we'll walk the river, identify the different safety points, and then we come up with a plan of how we're going to get people into those points and how we're going to run that section. And we'll come up with a plan also within that that's, okay, so it's me, Joel, and Justin out there this particular day. Um, Joel's going to run point. Justin's going to be in the center. Tony's going to run sweep. All right, when we get to the big half-dead tree, Joel's going to hit the eddy first. Um, He's going to hopefully try and catch us. If it's a small eddy, we'll get in there, regroup. Two guys go set safety, one guy runs, or one guy set safety, two guys run, whatever it
0: is. When you say go set safety, you don't mean go run the rapid and set safety. You mean get out of your boat and walk around and set safety. Can you clarify that?
1: What's going to happen is we're going to pull out well above the rapid and we're typically going to try and identify two different eddies that we can catch because we've been in situations where we pick one that's right above the big feature and we blow it and then you end up running through it if you miss it. Um, So we'll set up two separate eddies that we're going to try and catch we always, if we get into the first one, sweet. If not, we're all going to work our asses off to get into that second one. Once we're in the eddies, boats on shore, and then whoever is running the safety, which is going to be a guy with a throw bag, is going to go and hike out to the point, get where he needs to be. We'll do a hand signal marker typically. We've tried whistles, but in those situations, still so loud. So we try and function off hand signals and line of sight. Um, so you got your guys up there with their bags ready and then we give the, okay, we're going and then, you know, you kind of wait and hope for the best. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, that would be our typical safety scenario and every rapid is going to have a different scenario sometimes where one guy needs to be with a bag is going to be a sketchy spot. You need a guy on his back who's, um, Possibly anchored in to a rock or something, or at the very least, just hanging on to the back of the PFD of the guy who has the bag. If we're setting safety on a waterfall, we'll have uh, typically three points of safety. So we'll have someone up top who is above the feature in case something goes wrong with the lead in. We'll have someone right at the curtain, down below the waterfall at the curtain. That person is going to take some rocks or a rock, stuff it into the bottom of their throw bag, and then stuff their rope into the bag. That way, if the boater ends up behind the curtain, the rocks are going to help that bag break through it and get back behind the curtain. I've been pegged in the head with a bag behind the curtain, and it was like the most glorious thing ever. It works. (laughs) Uh, And then the third point of safety there is going to be someone slightly downstream in case that's a a post swim or the person right below the by the curtain doesn't get them so you have a backup for that you know you're always trying to come up with these scenarios in your head of what could happen, but you also want to try and prepare for that and there's nothing better like no better preparation than having backup to your plan. So we try and think about that quite a bit when we're out there doing this stuff
0: safety is such an interesting piece to to boating to me it's um it's like a t- it's such a, it can be such a time consuming element of boating and sometimes it feels like you're burning your daylight and sometimes it feels annoying that you're doing it i know i've had my ass saved by people and i've been able to also really help other people out before and i know that there's been times when we've taken all the time to do all this safety and it's just gone smooth and it's just gone so smooth Versus the times, like, I wrapped a boat one time and was stuck for three hours and, like, clogged a river or had had these really intense swims that then just really kind of mess up the whole scene for a few days even sometimes. I think, you know, going back, like, I, I guess I'm answering some questions now, but going back to the question where I asked you about the boating crew, I think that's always been a thing for me. If people aren't down to be safe and, like, you get the vibe that they're not into it, then... Then, I, then I'm kind of done with them. And I think what's what I would say too about that is everyone has their own idea of what that is. I've boated with people who aren't interested in taking the time that I want to take, and that's fine. I just quit boating with them, and we just don't boat together. We're still friends. We're just not boating friends.
1: There's a fine line to that with what you just said and how long all this stuff takes because when you're doing this stuff, the longer that you're sitting there staring at something really scary the more time you have to get worried but the more that you go through the process and set up the safety the faster it becomes and the more effective everyone gets at it so that was something that definitely took us some time I mean I remember days where we spent like a half a day just trying to set up the damn safety we got guys rappelling down the side of the wall to get a bag in the right place and you know it can really become an ordeal and I think, especially with waterfalls, you got to understand, one, you may not get to run it. You may put in an enormous amount of effort and have to turn around. And then the other factor into that is when you are going after a big objective, that's probably all you're going to do that day. You aren't going to go fun boating after or before. You're going to go up there, you're going to get the objective done, and then you're going to get out. So I think it's important, you know, The more practice, the more effective you get Um, dialing in the right crew members who all want to get on the same page with your safety program. That's all super important.
0: So in your crew, you know, you said some of the folks that that you're boating with are still commercial guides. I think you said that. And so I'm assuming that they just kind of come in with like a refresher guide school, maybe a shortened guide school every summer. They're probably keeping up with their, their 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 woofer or some sort of wilderness first aid and some sort of swift water rescue training the rest of you who aren't commercial guides, but are in this crew, what kind of trainings are you putting yourself into every year or every few years?
1: Yeah. So I like to research my CPR every couple of years. I like to research my swift water rescue typically every three years. Um, I like to do them with different people when I go do those classes, because you're always going to take something different out of that. Um, I think those are the two most important, right? And then it's just the on water training. You got to find those slow days on the river where you have some time to kill and Hey, let's throw some bags. Let's flip some boats. Let's, you know, you got to take that time and it's not always the most fun, but it's interesting. It's a super important part that's overlooked. You got to get out there and you got to put in the time.
0: So I knew of your Instagram before you reached out, I was following you. I started following you when I got my mini max, my 10 and a half foot. You can do so many things with it. And it's so fun to be just R2ing with another person that could just cool conversations. So I found your Instagram and I found a few other Instagrams like it. And I was just like, whoa, this is crazy. Running these narrow, steep, willow choked up, fast, sweet looking, little creaky river things. I was totally taken, you know. But I was a lot of me. I was like, ah, I can't do that. That's like way. How, how is he keeping that little boat straight by himself? All these questions. And then, then you reach out. We start talking, and I've watched Yaw the movie. A lot of it looks really fun. We're talking in this interview about about how to do this well with care with grace. But let's just like talk about how cool it is. Like, how much fun are you having? How much joy are you having? <laughs> in in doing these waterfalls and this kind of boating like what is this for you I mean it's my life
1: my lady knows I mean she says it all the time like you got to go out and you got to go boat with your buddies because if I don't do that I'm not I'm not me um the feelings that I get like it's I call it my therapy you know I go and I release whatever energies are in my body that day and it just like it's the only thing I ever found that just made me feel whole and made me like so happy. You know, that's like one of the jokes around our house is oh, you got your river smile on. This must be cool. <laughs> <laughs> um and you know, the hardest part of getting essentially addicted to adrenaline like that is when you can't get it. It makes for what can be some dark times when you go and you get those feelings, there's just, there's nothing that compares to it. There's just nothing that compares to it. it's just the best.
0: One thing I thought was really interesting to see in the movie was, I mean, you guys are doing this movie about running waterfalls and class five and just, you know, doing, doing really wild and fun boating. But you also brought in two interviews about river conservation, one with American whitewater Hattie Johnson, uh Southern Rocky Stewardship Director for for American Whitewater and then you also when you went to Ecuador, I can't remember the name of the the organization, but you were talking with a group of boaters who is also doing conservation work there. How do you see that intersection of yaw <laughs> running rivers and doing this kind of stuff, like this like this this message of yaw and the actual movie of yaw and also then the conservation side. Like what's what's going on there for you guys?
1: Yeah, you know, originally we had Planned on there being a lot more about conservation in the movie because it's super important. If the rivers aren't running, then we aren't. Anyone who's running rivers should be a member of American Whitewater doing something for American Whitewater. If you don't have the, the membership fee, like go volunteer, go do something. You know, we're all a part of this. And more and more with the climate and the dams and everything like that, like it's more and more important to protect these rivers. In American whitewater, they're obviously the top level. Um, they're our are our front line. And Hattie is super awesome person. She throws Gore Fest every year. You know, like I said, we had intended for the movie to have like this big conservation side. But what we kind of learned as we started making the movie is that we were rafters. We were not filmmakers. And so we kind of <laughs> stuck to what we knew. <laughs> um, that, that was definitely something we all realized at the end of that thing. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we were in Ecuador. We had just kind of stumbled across this event called Tua libre where the chinese government was trying to dam off one of the rivers there to put a hydroelectric plant it's a very common thing that happens all across south america and we were blown away like we had no idea we showed up at the kayak hostel and the first day we're there everyone's oh we're going to Tua libre it's a river festival we're like sweet we love river festivals no clue what we were walking into as we're there, it's this local community that they were going to flood the whole valley of these people who had been there for generations upon generations. And seeing these people worrying about losing their homes, like that's a whole nother level than what we're dealing with here. But that's still a very real thing in different parts of the world. And I feel like if maybe they had more of a voice or more people can stand up, you know, fight the power, whatever you want to call it, but you have to, you have to stand up for what you love. And I think that's super important for everyone to, it's going to be out on the river to do something. We've led cleanups um, of rivers and just, you know, little things. If we see trash on a river, we always make a point to pick it up. Just
0: do something. All right. Tony Glassman, thank you for coming on the podcast and telling your story. I really appreciate your time.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Sam. I really appreciate this. Yeah. Right
0: on. A waterfall-sized thank you goes out to our guest, Tony Glassman. The River Radius giveaway with Downriver Equipment Company is now live. This is for the full Downriver Clear Creek Cat Package. Go to our website and sign up, www.theriverradius.com. Today's advertising sponsors are Downriver Equipment Company and American Whitewater. You can find web and Instagram links to both sponsors' websites and Instagram accounts in today's show notes. You heard about Raftopia, which is the major gear sale at Downriver Equipment Company in Denver. That starts on March 27th and ends with a two-day parking lot event on March 31st and April 1st. I will be there as the MC. Come down and say hi. American Whitewater will also be there. Come check them out and get signed up as a member. In today's show notes, you can also find links to Tony Glassman's Instagram. Also, Tony sent me his list of favorite river books. That list is also in today's show notes, and it includes the book Water, the Blood of My Soul by Mark Kramer that Tony referenced. If you would like to watch the film Tony and his crew built, Yaw the Movie, we have a link in the show notes. Here at The River Radius, our social media expert is Samantha Sice. Today's music is composed and performed by Gene Reiniger. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius.
1: Yaw! Yaw! We've had a lot of Facebook boating dates. Bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, like, what do we do? I've been pegged in the head with a bag behind the curtain, and it was like the most glorious thing ever. They have to eat shit, and that's just part of it. Can I say that on here? Cool, calm, collected crush. That's kind of our little thing above a Big Rapid. I'll just say it over and over and over to myself again until I get to like that kind of like calm flow steady mind cool calm collected
0: crush you the movie